kidding Brother Tanner earlier after Sunday school. Said, We're going to have a confrontation because you literally about stole half my sermon. <laughs> but it, it, uh, in a different way. I mean, uh, the, the lesson was fantastic. He's done a great job presenting it. Uh, He said something several times, and you'll catch it in a minute after I begin. Uh, he restated that uh, I know four or five times exactly, and a few more times uh, a little different way, but meaning the same thing. And uh, I want to start with this this morning. There are four despised words. I'll say despise because uh, humanism or in our humanness, our fleshly nature, we don't like to hear these words. It's not about me. Anybody remember that from this morning? It's not about me. And I'm talking individually. Our society does not comply with that. It does not teach that. Our society or our world is contrary to what God has to say about that. Everything is not about me. Everything is not about suiting me. It can't be, if you want a nearness to God, that cannot be your attitude this morning. If it's all about you, you're in the wrong place. I'm not talking about place here. I'm talking the wrong place in association with the Lord. Uh, I want to share some scriptures this morning, and I want to begin here in the book of Psalms. Chapter 34. <coughs> Let me add to my opening statements here is it's not about me and before you can develop an attitude that is not, it is not about you, the first thing you have to move is yourself out of the way. Because self is directly related to me and us and you and that. Some people believe they're truly God's greatest gift to mankind. And uh, we cannot even begin to have that attitude if we're going to be effective as Christians, as believers. In the book of Psalms here, in this 34th chapter, there's a particular verse. There's been several before and a few after, but this uh, I was led to very early this morning, and along with a lot of other things. And it might not sound like this relates to what I've already spoken, but it definitely does. And it's found in the 18th verse. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite 
Spirit. What's that saying to us? First, we must identify, as we have many times here in dealing with the heart and talking about the heart, in this scripture, the heart is implied as talking about the inner will of man. If our will is not broken, we will never draw nigh to God. Because our self-will, our self-indulgence, uh, and everything else that goes along with that, and I could add a lot more to it, take the time I want. I believe we can get this if we'll listen to what's being said. And I want you to catch the word nigh. The Lord is nigh. Close. That means ever so close to. Everybody's not in this state. Listen to me. I don't care what people believe. If they think they're right next to God and, and, and they're contrary to this scripture, they're not going to be nigh to God, at least as is recorded in this word I'm sharing with you this morning. But it is an opportunity to be in this place. This is an invitation. This is how we get there. In a time that's dedicated as a Christmas season, what greater gift could we present to God other than fulfill the scripture? What could we more give to God than to fulfill what the Word's saying right here? Because if we are in this state, we are very effective for God. We can be used as instruments. We have a nearness to Him, and when we have a, a close nearness to God, we have who God is. I talked a while back what James said in, in 4.8 of his writing. Draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Same word, even though this is Hebrew and the other terms of the New Testament in Greek. It is a closeness to God. It is a nearness that surpasses nearness. It's a place that's offered to us, but we're the ones that's got to get there. God is not going to bring this to us and throw it on us and say, have a great day. This is an application of self to take and consider and receive. And again, many people do not even want to consider having to arrive at this state, especially in a Western culture and society today. Because, again, the emphasis is it's all about me or it's all about us. Everything's got to be about me or it's not going to work. And, that, and we see that in, in beyond full bloom today. Our whole society is reeking. That it's all about me and if it doesn't please me, then it's not going to work and all sorts of things. And look at the chaos that's been created by this very thing alone. And many don't even know what it's all about me about. It's just don't join the club of being all about me. That's a terrible state to be in. It's a, it's a terrible spiritual state to be in. And as Christians, if we're going, again, going to be effective and, and minister to people what we've been all been called to do singly, individually, and of course corporately as a whole, as a church. This, this is not just an attitude, even though individual believers make up the multitude. If we don't dedicate ourselves to this, because I'm going to tell you, the flesh will fight against you on this one. That, that old self-nature in you argue with you and say, why is this so important? Why can't it be all about me? Why can't I have my way in everything? Because we are here and called to serve other people. Jesus taught that Amen. lesson when he had the pal about him when he was speaking to the disciples and washing their feet. It's servanthood first. We serve others, don't we? Yes. And if it's all about me and all about myself, I cannot. I probably can't even serve others, at least with the right attitude. I'm certainly probably not going to win many souls, if any at all. 
Because if it remains all about me, how am I going to be concerned about anybody else? Because all the energy supplies my direction. All the wants supplies my direction. All the demands are supplied my direction when I have the wrong attitude. This is a, a huge scripture right there. This is uh, something that even in my beginning days of Christianity, this, I found this scripture and this has meant so much. You know, this means we got to be bendable, flexible, sometimes breakable. Catch the word. Broken heart. <coughs> Broken inner will. What is your inner will? Has to do with your desires, your emotions, your wants, your desires. What, what you're made of, it's tied to you. Your inner will is there, but is it changeable? Of course it's changeable when it's broken. But it's got to be broken. It's got to be broken. Why? For God to be able to operate in your life as he wants to, as we should desire him to. And save us such as be of a contrite spirit. Contrite. That so broken, so repentant, so sorrowful that you're looking for a deliverer because you can't deliver yourself. Now back up, who, who's it say? What's it say right here? The Lord's nigh thee. These. I'm afforded some uh, other scriptures and moving up the way just a little bit in Psalms 51, 17. The writer declares the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and contrived heart. The sacrifices of God. What's that telling us? Does it say somewhere in the word, present yourself a living what? Sacrifice? Well, what's a living sacrifice? A living sacrifice. This is lit, folks. This is something. This scripture I just started out with here in Psalms 34 18 is a sacrifice. We've got to break ourselves. That's what it's about, breaking ourselves before the Lord. Get, making that inner self of us line up and, and, and to make it line up, literally the word, the term again, you've got to shatter the thing. You've got to break it into pieces. If you don't, it'll rear back up on you and want to take rule again. It'll want to make the commands. It'll want to make the demons. Hey, you've got to get back straightened up here because it's all about you, remember? No, it isn't all about us. As much as we might want it to be, as much as we might try to convince others that it is, it's still not so if we're going to be effective for the Lord. And that, I find that is super important. It's always been super important, but it's especially important in this day we're living in because people need the real Jesus. Amen. They need the reality of God and what he can do for them. And if people like this that have experienced this right here, this 18th verse of 34 Psalm, that are near to God and that should be able to bring people to the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. But how much are people prevented from not being able to do so because they do not fit the scriptures or they've tried to twist it and make it fit their program. And there's a lot of that going on. And this sacrifice 
These sacrifices of God are broken spirit and contrite hearted. Kind of a little bit, but it means the same thing. In Isaiah 57 15, and I'm moving you through the scripture this morning because I want you to see these yourself. 57 15, Isaiah. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. Who is that? Notice my Bible has the one capitalized. It's talking about God Almighty. Whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. Again, he's reinforcing this is coming from the mouth of God. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To do what? Well, he answers that. To revive the spirit of the humble. And to revive the heart of the contrite ones. I don't know if you've seen in this yet, but this is talking about an absolute state of humility. Being humble. The scripture where I begin, that's the exact definition of a person that has made themselves humble before God. That has broken themselves to the degree that God can do something with them. It's a fact, and I'm going to state it, but it, it should be a well-known fact. There are a lot of people running around that designate themselves as Christians that God cannot even use because they're far away from this very thing. They're, when your will is broken, what the scripture in, in summary is saying, you have to break your own will down, and it must be broken in order for you to fulfill the will of God. You've got to get your own out of the way. You, you can't cohabitate. Well, I'm going to have my will, but God, you're allowed to have a little bit of your... That's not the, what the scripture is saying. This is a place, again, that we can come to that absolutely will empower us because when we near God, and I've spoken this recently, when we near God, we, re we receive the power of God. We receive the spiritual energy, the supernatural ability that God gives believers, but this is a place we have to bring ourselves to. If we're going to be near the Lord, if we want to be near God, if we really want to be close up, to our creator then the scripture is calling us right this is a place we should all desire to be at how do we get there how do we get there because we're operating in humanness again this flesh wants to override it wants to take charge partially it's greatly disciplinary we, we have to discipline ourselves Revive the spirit of the humble. Revive the heart of the contrite one. It's interesting. God realized, of course, when he created us, he, he made us human. We are not angelic. We're human. Sometimes we need revived spiritually. Yeah. Things happen. Our mind gets to meddling with our heart and we find ourselves off track. We need revived. How do we get revived? Who's the only one who can revive us? Well, I just read the scripture. The high and lofty one. 
the Holy One. He's the only one that is able to revive our hearts and, and our soul. This is a soul thing. This is a makeup of the soul. This is a, an attitude, a spiritual attitude, at least where I started. I'm moving through these other scriptures to show us something. God speaks of this once, twice, again and again to bring people to the place where he wants us to be that we can be near him. And when we're near him, things happen. Spiritual things happen. Supernatural things happen. We're given abilities. We're granted things that we didn't know we could even ever have. If you're close to God, again, you have the resources of God. I've said this before, and I'm being repetition, and I'm being repetitious on purpose, because we've got to get this. When we're near God, we have the resources of God. When we're near God, we have the resources of heaven. We have the anointing. He'll provide us anointings. There's great things happen when we bring ourselves to this place. Scriptures that record that God looks for. I've used the term God scans. The earth watching, looking for people. Some scriptures relate says he found none. But he offers. Offers us to bring ourselves to the place. Right where he wants us to be. Not where we want to be, where he wants. God's will is for us to be where he wants us to be. Again, this human nature wrestles with this. It fights with it. It, I started out, it doesn't like it. It does not want to hear the words that it's not about me. Right. Folks, I'm going to tell you, this is something else that's infected churches. Churches cannot even operate effectively and efficiently because there's too many people in them that it's got to be about them. And if it's not about them, then it's all wrong. That's right. Now, what's that create? I'll tell you right now, it's not a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Right. Or broken heart and contrite spirit is said both ways. That's why, that's why we have to constantly, constantly be in the scriptures. In prayer, this is a prayer scripture. Help me, O Lord, mm -hmm. to stay in this frame of spirit. Let me not get out of this. Well, first of all, help me arrive here. Help me get to this place, Lord. It's not in the Bible that it's, it's impossible. It's in the Bible because it is possible. It wouldn't be here if it wasn't possible. And he offers us a great, wonderful opportunity. Amen. Again, not just for ourselves, but to share. To convey to others. To, to have that effective spiritual, I, I refer to it often as an effervescence instead of a negative attitude. Look a little further. Isaiah 66. Verse 2. God's been talking about the heaven as his throne being his footstool. He says in verse 2, says, For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man, this man, this man, this woman, this woman, will I look? Will I look? Personally look. 
Get that. I will personally look at this type of man, and I know a woman isn't in here, but I understand. This is still a look. <coughs> Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. So what happens when God looks upon him? This doesn't mean just see. It says look upon him. <coughs> players look upon him. Why is God looking for this kind of person? What you going to do with him? It delights him when he finds one. So what you going to do with him? What's after the fact? Once he finds many things, open up a world of opportunity, but not to say, look at me. It's all about me. No, God knows when he finds a person like this, it's all about him. It's all about him. And when it's all about him, there's not going to be any of this that's about me anymore. That's so devastating and polluting and contaminating to individuals and to seemingly the life. Right. We could probably find story after story after story where someone other than what's fitting to this scripture has created havoc and chaos and really devastated whatever. I mean, look at our country today, look at our society, look at our world. Uh, I've stated it already, but I'm going to stress a little more. If this attitude doesn't stop, it's going to end in calamity. Society-wise, it's going to end in calamity. It's close already. Because there's a whole lot of it's about me, guys. And they're not only saying it, they're demanding it. Now they're violent. Then they're destructive. Where do we go from here? You see what a little bitty matter of little bitty fire kindles? When we could be so much otherwise. This is a, I believe, a great calling to the church in general itself. It's like, hey, let's get back to this. Let's get back to this. Let's find this place. But it, it takes us all individually. We've got to find it individually. We're not going to do anybody any good. I've returned to this scripture many times. And, and realize this will bring conviction. That's what it's for. The word of God is bring conviction just in case you didn't know. Right. That's really what it's supposed to be about. Conviction and then change. Create back to this repentant state. Oh God. Yes. I realize I have nothing but my will. And I've messed things up by having my will. Don't, yeah. an, don't raise your hands and don't answer. Just answer yourself. Come How on. many times have you messed things up by just demanding and having <coughs> your will? Come on. And I'm in the same circle as you are. I can go back and count some times. Thank God many of them I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> but I've asked the Lord, please forgive me, God, please. Get me where I need to be. That my thoughts could not be all upon myself, but towards others. To be helpful to others, to to bring Christ to others, to do everything I can. And I said, God, of all things, to worship you in every possible way I can. 
This is a scripture, or at least where I begin, I know we're ahead in Isaiah now. This is a scripture that should bring us to the fullness of worship because it's direct, it doesn't say it here, but it's directly involved. If we are like broken heart and a contrite spirit, we're going to be worshipless. Mm -hmm. Why? Because we are directly in the will of God. And God's will is for us to worship Him. To praise him, to give him glory, to give him honor, to give him thanks. When you get to a state like this, you won't be able to help yourself from doing that. But you got to arrive here first. Yes, that's right. You got to arrive here first. There's a couple of great instances in the Word, not only two, but I'm going to share a couple this morning. One of those found in the Gospel of John, way over in the New Testament. dealing with a particular guy named John the Baptist. John chapter 3. Now we know John the Baptist was a forerunner of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. God sent John to prepare the path for Jesus, correct? And he did. What did he do? He began what? Baptizing folks in the wilderness. Now here in this particular chapter, over in the latter part, Jesus has came, he's been baptized, and there arises a question, and really this is involving how to be pure or purity, and there arises a question, say, well, wait a minute, John, this is supposed to be all about you. Because John started this thing. John was the one that began baptizing. Multitudes came to John. And here's where we get in trouble, folks. When we are afraid to share or selfishly will not share. Now, this is an extreme incident here. I'll explain that further in a minute. But when we can get so caught up in ourselves that we will not share, we don't want anybody else to be a part of. That's what they come in. They're trying to say, John, what's going on? He's over here now doing this ministry. John replies in a hair-raising way. And I'm going to shorten it. I'm going to read scripture first. It's in verse 29. He that has a bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which stands and hears him, he's talking about himself, friend of the bridegroom, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Did you catch that? I'm just glad to hear his voice. To be able to be the one to hear his voice. I recognize my place. Yes, he is exceeding what I have done. There are more multitudes following him than follow me. They are giving him more attention than what I got. But that doesn't bother me in the least because I know my purpose and I know my call. And if I can do nothing else but hear his voice, because I know something. 
And this is what he says in verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Amen. That's a hard thing for us to accept. Yes. Because human wants notoriety. Human wants fame. Human wants somebody to pay attention to them. And demand even that they listen to them and that they get their way. And a lot of other things. But John so eloquently put it. I know that for me to be in the will of God and fulfill the purpose of God, that I'm the one that's got to lessen myself that he be increased. That is a attitude that's presented to us. And it's something, again, that we constantly wrestle with because we live in this human nature, and I've got to keep saying this, we live in this human nature that wants to do just the opposite. Right. It wants to have its way. It wants to get what it wants. It wants to be the top dog. It wants to be the one that's seen more than anybody else. And again, there's a lot of things associated. I don't have time to mention all those things this morning. The next one I want to bring you to, and I know I'm moving quickly through the scriptures. You might want to go back and reread these. There's an account in the uh, book of 2 Kings. And I want to kind of just bring all this to you in a summarized format. In the book of 2 Kings, in the second chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 19, there's an instance of a person of stature, great stature. His name is Naaman, and he's a general in the Syrian army. And Naaman has developed an uh, infectious disease that then in the Bible uh, is known as leprosy. Leprosy in this day was actually a fatal disease. There was no cure for it. Naaman was a decorated warrior. He had achieved the rank of general, and, and the word even says that the Lord had given him victories. But he, he comes down with this illness, And he's trying to deal with it, and as all of our hopes of these, trying to find a, some way to be relieved or a, we would call it a cure for this or a deliverance from it. But it's infectious, and now the Bible doesn't state all this, but leprosy was a spreading disease, and it, it, it grew and it extended until it actually was fatal to the person. So you can appreciate Naaman's extreme searching for help. extreme searching for help. Remember that. Let's go spiritual here. We all need to be in extreme search of help. Spiritual. So Naaman is troubled. He's worried. He's beyond trouble and worry because he probably thinks his days are about over and but anyway, he gets note of this little Israelite maiden that had actually been kidnapped and taken back to Syria, that there's a prophet in the land of Israel that is able to heal. So he gathers up his illustrious wardrobe and he puts it on and 
and I'm kind of painting this up. He makes sure everything's great and fine and his military decorations and he's in his big chariot that generals, you can imagine what a general would ride in in the day. And he rolls up in front of Elisha's house. Now, I can see in these scriptures that Naaman is expecting a lot. I can also see that Naaman's heart is not right and we're getting ready to see that because his heart right now is all about Naaman. It's all about me. And we're going to see more evidence of that in just a minute. So he presents himself out of his chair he comes, he presents himself, and Elisha doesn't even greet him because I believe God has already <coughs> told Elisha, this guy's got a problem, so we're going to work on him a little bit. <coughs> he don't even go to resort, which probably was offensive start with. He just sent a little servant. The servant goes out the door and tells Naaman, said, uh, the guy in the house there, I guess the guy you came to see, said, he said, go down there in the Jordan River and wash yourself seven times. Well, Naaman's all upset because he didn't get to see the big guy. I mean, he's, he's furious. Now, this is a state you can get to. You can become furious because you didn't get your way. Because it wasn't all about me, then now I'm angry and I'm upset. Well, he leaves and he's he's dealing with this. And he has associates that are with him who begin to try to counsel him and say, basically, I'm going to say, you come all this way. You went to all the trouble. You, you presented yourself why not just do what he says? <coughs> Why don't we just do what God says? <laughs> because we're mad. Right. No, we're upset. We're arrogant. We're prideful. And you know, it comes up, hey, let's just go back home. There's clear rivers down there. There's spring fed. I'll just go take my bath in them. Sometimes we've got to go through different things for God to get our attention than what we want. This is true. about, come on, let's come on, let's just go on down here in this Jordan River. Now let me tell you something about the Jordan River. The Jordan River, river was muddy and murky. Sometimes it was stagnant because it didn't flow real good all the time. So here is Naaman presented with this. Now there's an amazing account here where you got to break the wheel. Will has to be broken. That old ugly nature within has to be broken. It's got to be crumbled to no effect. And I don't know what Naaman's at, they finally got him out here anyway. He waded out into the Jordan and the word tells us that maybe he was mad, maybe he was furious. Okay, they're trying to get me to do this. And I don't even know how much faith Naaman had. But if we gotta go back to, let's go do what he says. Where do I start out at? Let's go do what he says. Let's go back to Psalms 34, 18. Let's do what he says. Let's get, let's get our hearts right. Let's get our souls in the right condition. Let's get broken and contrite. Then we might see the miracles of God, huh? Right. Naaman steps out into that river, and the Bible said he dipped himself seven times. Well, it had to be a one first. Sometimes it takes us a while to... You where we need to be. That's right. Yes. 
How can the man, if he goes under once and then nothing happens? Uh huh. Mm -hmm. I asked once, Lord, and nothing happened, so now I'm going to just cut out, huh? Now he went twice. Third time, fourth time, fifth time, sixth time. There's muddy water. Anybody here like to swim in muddy water, stagnant water, polluted water, scummy moss, you know, all over? God sometimes has to get you to the place you do not want to be before he can do something with you. Amen. And I can imagine Naaman in his stature, in, in his military splendor, He's the general, dude. He's the man. He's supposed to be spit, shined, and polished by others that he didn't even have to do himself. Now, he's down here in this muddy river dipping himself. He may be beginning to wonder, what in the world am I doing here? But he went that seventh time. You know what that tells me? Do what God says all the way. Amen. What if you stopped at six? I don't like this situation. This is all about me, and I don't like this. What if you stopped at five, five or six? Six and a half. I'm going to tell you, the result wasn't any same. Word tells us, make a long story short, Naaman went under that seventh time, and he came back up and said, leprosy is gone. You got leprosy too, by the way. Yeah. Biblically, leprosy and sin are considered the same thing. One spiritual, the other is physical. What's the only way that you can ever possibly have your leprosy healed spiritually? Do what God says. How do you further grow past that point? We've been talking, this has been a thing, growing past the point of salvation. There's places to go past salvation, folks. Amen. I know this is restating, but there's there's a, there's opportunities beyond salvation. There's requirements beyond salvation. This is the place where I started, where God wants us to be, where we can be effective, where we can do, where we can live a joyful life for the Lord by doing what he says. So I'm here to God is to experience him. Experience. Not just hear about. Experience. Naaman had an experience. Backing up to John the Baptist, he had an experience. He had the joy of seeing Jesus. He had the joy of baptizing Jesus. What happened to him in the end? Herod took him prisoner. <coughs> Throw him in jail. After doing all that he had done, and then Herod had him beheaded. <coughs> Did he fulfill the purpose? Absolutely. Sacrifice. What did we read out of Isaiah about sacrifice? Sometimes it's a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. To fulfill the will of God, sometimes it's a sacrifice. Sometimes it hurts our. Meddles with our. 
stirs up our we've got to carefully bring that into control and we get to a place that other place that fulfillment of in the will of God and out of the will of self which again takes us to higher heights greater widths closer closeness to the Lord <coughs> refusal to do so is effective in other ways it hurts us individually we lose out individually we don't receive individually you ever notice the word of God many times is like a recipe in particular subjects is you follow the scriptures it's like a this is a spiritual recipe you do this and you add to and you do this and you add to this is where it gets you to and man, in the end, it's a wonderful chocolate cake. <laughs> Created by God Himself. Well, what I brought this morning, it, like many things I've presented over the years, and especially recently, requires action. It requires action. A lot of action. A lot of moving oneself. And again, the first thing you got to do yourself, you got to move self out of the way. Yeah. Take a step. Naaman was in the river. He took a step. I imagine he might have stood there while I looked at that thing. Do I want to do this or not? It's not in my makeup. Especially with other people watching. Right. Mm. It kind of affects things sometimes, doesn't it? Don't raise your hand again. Sometimes people miss out on things because they're too conscious about what other people are watching. The world needs to see, people need to see fulfilled in the scriptures. And I tell you, it makes a, more than a difference. Close this morning, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, part of the fist to step out of the will of self and step into the will of God. And I saw this this way at 4.40 a.m. this morning, so I'm going to ask you in this way. I believe if God gives me something, then I'm supposed to do that. Action and commitment. to this place or to improve in this place the scriptural place I've been speaking about this morning if you're committed to that if you want to commit yourself to it personally now this is for you yep. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning prayer and I've seen results I've seen this 
vision this morning early this results now I'm not going to describe what those results were because that lies within each one of you and I'm going to say it again folks sometimes you got to break that stubborn selfish will down inside of you just ask the Holy Spirit to come on in and just trample the living daylights out of you and be man of God woman of God enough to say I'm not longer going to have my will God, I'm giving you your will in my life. Heavenly Father, we just bring all this to you this morning. I know I've asked these people to stand, and I feel I've been obedient to that because that's what I've sensed and what I saw. And I'm asking, Lord, now to touch them and touch us all. That we have a desire to be more effective for you, first of all. And that, Lord, we have within ourselves a courage. A courage. To battle this will in us. This self-concern. All about me will, Lord God, that rears its head up constantly. Help us be willing to battle it. Scripturally and prayerfully. That, God, we may be near you, nigh you, close to you, that we can hear your voice and experience your healing. As individuals, as a church, that we be better for you, Lord. That we do more, able to do more for you because your will now thrives in us. Pray for these. I pray for myself. I pray for all of us. We come to this place. We be revived. Revived. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give God a praise. in these scriptures for a few days. I urge you, I invite you to read them as many times as you can every day. It's one. 34, 18 songs. That's all I'm asking you for. I feel that you're going to, when you get it, or you get it more, you're going to see growth like you never expected. But beyond getting that, listen, I'll leave with this one. You have to apply it. Apply it. Put it to work. Put it to action. Move in it. In what God has said. Amen.